بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So we began last week with the explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed based majoritively upon the explanation of Sheikh al-Fawzan Hafizahullah Ta'ala the book that he entitled I'anatul Mustafid bi sharh kitab al-Tawheed and this particular explanation that we're using it is available in English in a summarized form the summarized form of this book is translated into English and that's available so you should try and get a copy of that if you do not understand Arabic and if you do then get the original explanation if you are able so we started last week and we gave a brief definition of Tawheed and we explained that Tawheed is built upon two pillars the pillar of affirmation and the pillar of negation when you say la ilaha illallah there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah a negation and an affirmation <coughs> and this is how the ayat and the ahadith regarding tawhid are all mentioned they are mentioned as affirmations and negations so even the ayah that we read last time وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Allah said He did not create the jinn or the humans except for us to worship Him. So the affirmation here you could say, it is, it is the affirmation for us to worship Allah upon Tawheed. And a negation of using our lives in a negligent manner that is absent and devoid of the worship of Allah. This next ayah that Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala mentions explicitly and clearly talks about or mentions within it or highlighted within it is the principle of affirmation and negation. So Allah says, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَاجْتَنِبُ الطَّاغُوتِ That indeed we sent to every nation a messenger Preaching, worship Allah alone and stay away from the false deities. Worship Allah alone and stay away from the false deities. That straight away you see has within it an affirmation and a negation. An nafi wal ifbat, negation and affirmation. An Allah is the affirmation. Wajtanibu taghut is the negation. Worship Allah alone, that is the affirmation. Stay away from the false deities, that is the negation. And as we said, it is through that affirmation and negation coming together that creates the tawheed or that brings about, that brings about rather the reality of tawheed, the affirmation and the negation. That's why Allah says He sent a messenger to every nation. 
and those messengers would preach to their nations to worship Allah alone, that's the affirmation, and to stay away from the false deities, that's a negation. By putting those two together, you see the reality of Tawheed. So Allah mentioned in this ayah, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا That Allah sent to every ummah, every nation, every nation of people, Allah sent to them a messenger. A messenger, somebody who Allah has chosen for the revelation to be given to, and he's been commanded to go and spread and preach that revelation. And there were many messengers, some of whom Allah mentioned their names to us, and some of whom we do not know their names. There are some messengers who Allah told us their names, and there are some messengers who Allah did not tell us their names. How do we know that? Because it's in the Qur'an, the ayah where Allah says, وَرُسُلًا قَدْ قَصَصْنَاهُمْ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ قَبْلُ وَرُسُلًا لَمْ نَقْصُصْهُمْ عَلَيْكَ And messengers who we have narrated to you about before. We have mentioned them to you before. And messengers whom we have not narrated about. So there are some whom Allah mentioned to us, and there are some who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not tell us about. Some that Allah mentioned to us, and some that Allah did not mention to us. And that is why when we say the iman in the prophets and messengers, there are two types of iman, the general iman and the specific iman. The general iman in the prophets and messengers is to believe in all of the prophets and messengers that Allah sent. Even the ones whose names we don't know. And the specific iman in the prophets and messengers is to believe in the ones whose names we know by name. So you believe that there was a messenger by the name of Ibrahim salam, and a messenger by the name of Musa salam, and a messenger by the name of Isa salam. The ones whose names we know specifically, then you have iman in them specifically. And the ones whose names we do not know, as Allah mentions in the Quran here, there are some who Allah did not narrate to us about, we do not know their names, so those you believe in them generally and have a general iman in them. So Allah sent all of these prophets and messengers to their nations, and they all taught the same thing. And that is, as Allah mentions in this ayah, Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and refrain from, abstain from the taghut. Allah, worship Allah, this is a command. That part of the ayah is a command. Worship Allah alone. And stay away from the false deities, that part is a prohibition. So you have an affirmation and a negation, a command and a prohibition. The command being to worship Allah alone upon Tawheed, and the prohibition being to stay away from the false deities, the taghut. And the Taghut, as Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullahu ta'ala mentioned, is, كُلُّ مَا تَجَاوَزَ بِهِ الْعَبْدُ حَدَّهُ مِنْ مَعْبُودٍ أَوْ مَتْبُوعٍ أَوْ مُطَاعٍ فِي غَيْرِ طَاعَةِ اللَّهِ فَهُوَ طَاغُوتٍ Everything that the servant transgresses the boundaries with, in terms of the one that is worshipped, or the one that is followed, 
or the one that is obeyed, if the boundaries are transgressed with regards to these affairs, in other than the worship of Allah, then that is taghut. And that's why, for example, the magicians are known as taghut, the fortune tellers are known as taghut, those who claim to have knowledge of the unseen are known as taghut, those who call to their own worship, they call people to worship them, they are known taghut, they are known as taghut, because they have all transgressed the boundaries. They have all surpassed and gone beyond the boundaries. So all of those who go beyond the boundaries and transgress with regards to these affairs, then they are taghut. Claiming knowledge of the unseen, then that is a lie. The knowledge of the unseen is with Allah alone. So that individual has transgressed in that claim of his, has transgressed in that affair. So he is taghut. The fortune teller, the magicians have transgressed the affair from that which is permissible into that which is haram. Delving into magic and fortune telling and its likes. So they have transgressed the boundaries also. And this is what Ibn Al-Qayyim mentions, that those who transgress the boundaries <coughs> with regards to these affairs of the one worshipped and the one followed and the one obeyed, then they are taghut. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he commanded us, أَمَرَنَا بِعِبَادَتِهِ وَاجْتِنَابِ الطَّاغُوتِ Allah commanded us to worship Him and to stay away from the taghut. He commanded us to worship Him and to stay away from the false deities. So in summary, you could say that the taghut that Allah is telling us to stay away from is كُلُّ مَا عُبِدَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Everything that is worshipped besides Allah. Everything that is worshipped besides Allah. Min al-asnami wal-awthan. From the idols and the statues. Wal-qubur and the graves. Wal-adriha and the shrines. Wa-ghayri dhalik. And other than that. Kulluha tusamma tawagheet. All of them are known as tawagheet. All of those idols and statues and graves and shrines that the people they are going to and building and worshipping, then they are taghut. لَكِنْ مَنْ عُبِدَ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ وَلَا مِرْضَ بِذَلِكَ فَهَذَا لَا يُسَمَّ تَغُوتًا But, if somebody is worshipped besides Allah, <coughs> if somebody is worshipped besides Allah, but that person is not pleased that he is being worshipped besides Allah. Then is that person named a taghut? He is not named as a taghut. An example would be Isa alayhi salam. The people, some of them, the misguided ones, worship Isa alayhi salam. And they raise him to the level of Allah. So they have transgressed the boundaries. But Isa alayhi salam is innocent of them and free of them and does not approve of that, and neither did he call to that, rather he will declare his innocence of that. So now Isa salam, we do not say at all, that the term taghut is applicable, because he is worshipped besides Allah. Because he is not in agreement, rather he will declare his innocence of this misguidance of the people. So the one who is not pleased with that, you do not term as a taghut. 
So here the Shaykh says, for example, Isa alayhi salam, or for example, Al-Hasan al-Husayn, Al-Hasan al-Husayn, how many people out there, they call upon Al-Hasan, Ya Al-Hasan, Ya Al-Husayn, they call upon them, Ya Hasan, Ya Husayn, this is incorrect of them, but Al-Hasan al-Husayn are not pleased with that, so this is not to be termed Taghut. Similarly, all of those righteous people, who others go to their graves, Righteous people who are genuinely perhaps righteous people. If other people start going to their graves after those righteous people die and they start committing shirk, then those righteous people are not to blame. And those righteous people are not the ones who are termed as Taghut. So Taghut is the one who is pleased with that worship. The one who is pleased with that worship. Or all of that which is worshipped in terms of the trees or the stones or the statues and the graves and the shrines besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then there's another point to mention here, which is that in the ayah, when Allah says, Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and refrain from the taghut. Ijtanibu taghut. Al-ijtinab... Al-ijtinab, it means to stay away from that thing altogether. It doesn't just mean stop doing it. It means to stay away from that thing altogether. Whatever that thing might be. So this indicates that the actual root is being blocked. The actual root leading up to that thing is being blocked in the first place. Wajtanibu at-taghut. مَا قَالَ أُتْرُكُوا عِبَادَةَ الطَّاغُوتِ The Shaykh says Allah didn't just say leave worshipping the idols. Allah didn't just say leave off worshipping the idols. Allah said refrain from the idols. Stay away from the idols. Meaning from the very roots and the pathways that lead up to the worship of the idols. Stay away and abstain well away from all of that. So this indicates that the prohibition is more extensive. The prohibition is more comprehensive. That's uh, similar to when we mentioned, وَلَا تَقْرَبُ zina. Do not come anywhere close to fornication. Do not come anywhere close to fornication. Here the ayah is indicating, not just do not fornicate, but do not even go close to anywhere near fornication. So all of the pathways and all of the roots that lead up to fornication, you are prohibited to tread upon them. Here similarly, وَجْتَنِبُ الطَّاغُوتِ This wording in the Arabic language indicates uh, to stay well away from and to abstain from and to be far removed from the worship of the tawaghit, let alone actually be anywhere close to be worshipping them. So the Shaykh says, الاجتناب معناه أننا نترك الشيء ونترك الوسائل والطرق التي توصل إليه. اجتناب means that we leave something and we leave all of the ways, all of the routes that could lead up to that thing. All of the ways and all of the routes that could lead up to that shirk occurring. Then we abandon all of those ways, all of those routes, all of those pathways. Leading up to that haram. Even Jamir Rusul Ja'u Bidawati ila Tawheed wa Nahi Ani Shirk. Therefore, all of the Prophets and Messengers came 
calling to tawheed and warning from shirk. Hadihi millatul rusul alayhi salatu wassalam wa hiya milla wahida. Wain ikhtalafat shara'i'uhum illa anna asla dinihim wa aqidatihim huwa tawheed. So this is the message of all of the prophets and messengers. They are upon one millah, they are upon one way, one methodology, one united way, even if their laws differed. وَإِنْ اِخْتَلَفَتْ شَرَائِعُهُمْ Here the shaykh is explaining that the laws of al-halal and al-haram, they may well have differed from time to time. In the different prophets and messengers, the halal and the haram may have differed. However, even if the halal and the haram differed, the actual root and basis and foundation did not. The basis and the foundation which is of aqidah and tawheed was always the same. Aqidah and tawheed was always the same. But the laws may have differed. An example of that, prostrating to others besides Allah is an act of shirk. But there's another type of prostration. Prostrating to someone not as an act of worship, but just to show honor and respect to them. Is that permissible? To bow down to someone just to show honor and respect, not worship. Is it permissible? Haram. However, at the time of Yusuf alayhi salam, at the time of Yusuf alayhi salam, the prostration of worship was obviously haram to anyone besides Allah. But the prostration, the bowing of respect and greeting, that was allowed at the time of Yusuf That's why it mentions that he saw in the dream how they were all prostrating to him and in reality his family, they all prostrate to him in the end. So this shows that the laws may differ. The halal and the haram may differ. But the actual basis of aqidah and tawheed, that never changes. فَمَثَلًا الصَّلَاةُ إِلَى بَيْتِ الْمَقْدِسِ فِي أَوَّلِ الْإِسْلَامِ عِبَادَ لِلَّهِ لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ أَمَرَ بِهَا لَكِنْ بَعْدَ مَا نُسِخَتْ وَحُوِّلَتِ الْقِبْلَةِ إِلَى الْكَعْبَةِ صَارَتْ الْعِبَادَةِ هِيَ الصَّلَاةُ إِلَى الْكَعْبَةِ وَالصَّلَاةُ إِلَى بَيْتِ الْمَقْدِسِ أَصْبَحَتْ مُنْتَهِيَةِ فَمَنْ صَلَّى إِلَى بَيْتِ الْمَقْدِسِ بَعْدَ النُّسْخِ يُعْتَبِرُ كَافِرًا فَعِبَادَةُ اللَّهِ فِي كُلِّ وَقْتٍ بِمَا شَرَعَهُ فِي ذَلِكَ الْوَقْتِ Another example the Sheikh gives is previously they used to pray towards Al-Bayt al-Maqdis. They used to pray towards Bayt al-Maqdis. Bayt al-Maqdis. But then afterwards, the direction of the Qibla changed. So they started praying towards the Kaaba. The direction of the Qibla changed. Uh, <coughs> and so they began to pray towards the Kaaba. So whoever prayed towards Bayt al-Maqdis previously, that was because the revelation at that time was to pray in that direction. But then the law, it changed later on, the ruling, it changed, that the direction is now the Qibla in Mecca. So this indicates how the rulings might change. The rulings might change from time to time. But the source, that never changes. The Tawheed, worshipping Allah upon that Tawheed, that never changes. But these laws and these rulings, 
they might change from time to time. And that is from the wisdom of Allah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, decrees the laws from His wisdom to that which is suitable to the people at the time. So whatever is appropriate and suitable to the people at the time, then from the wisdom of Allah, Allah decrees the laws, the regulations, the legislations that are applicable and suitable to those people at that time. And then when another people come afterwards, perhaps their circumstances and their way from the wisdom of Allah, it is decreed that something else is more suitable and appropriate for them. So the laws... And the regulations may change, but the tawheed and the aqidah never does. So that is what's shown by this ayah. وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنْ يَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَاشْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ That we have sent to every nation a messenger preaching, worship Allah alone and stay away from the false deities. These are all evidences and proofs that show to you why tawheed is the basis. And why therefore a person must begin with the study of Tawheed and Aqeedah as the basis. Consider now that every Prophet and Messenger called to this Tawheed and Aqeedah. Every Prophet and Messenger, the Da'wah was to the Tawheed and the Aqeedah. So this shows to you how important that was. That Allah mentions in the Quran, we, did not, we sent to every nation a Messenger preaching that Tawheed. Every nation was sent a messenger preaching to them the same tawheed and warning from that shirk. So this indicates that this is the basis and this is the core. And that shows to you how the people of deviation, they have gone astray. Because they do not make their core, they do not make their basis the tawheed and the aqidah. They talk about khilafah, they talk about politics, they talk about voting, they talk about the political situation across the world. And they spend all of their time in that and they forget about the core and the basis that all of the prophets and messengers were sent with, which was calling to this Tawheed. <coughs> the next ayah, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهِ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that you do not worship except Him. And do goodness and righteousness to your parents. وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهِ Meaning that Allah has declared you only perform the worship of Allah alone. That you obey Him alone. وَهُوَ عِبَادَةُ اللَّهِ وَتَرْكُ عِبَادَةِ مَا سِوَاهِ That is to worship Allah alone and to abandon the worship of anything besides that. That is the reality of Tawheed. أَمَّا عِبَادَةُ اللَّهِ بِدُونِ تَرْكِ عِبَادَةِ مَا سِوَاهُ فَهَذَا لَا يُسَمَّ تَوْحِيدًا فَالْمُشْرِكُونَ يَعْبُدُونَ اللَّهَ وَلَكِنَّهُمْ يَعْبُدُنَا مَعَهُ يَعْبُدُونَ مَعَهُ غَيْرَهُ So the mushrikeen, they used to worship Allah, but at the same time they used to worship others besides Allah too. That's why Shaykh Al-Fawzan makes the point here, that Tawheed isn't just to worship Allah, it is to worship Allah and to abandon the worship of anything besides Allah. That's what this ayah says, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ Your Lord has decreed, أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا That you do not worship, إِلَّا إِيَّاهِ Accept Him. So you must worship Allah and abandon the worship of everything besides Allah. As for somebody worshipping Allah, but not abandoning the worship of others besides Allah, then that person isn't a muwahid, that person isn't upon tawheed. 
The Tawheed must be with both. Because even the Mushrikeen, the Mushrikeen used to worship Allah, but at the same time they used to worship others besides Allah too, and therefore they never entered into Tawheed. فَلَيْسَ الْمُهِمْ The Shaykh says, it is not the important thing therefore, أَنَّ الْإِنسَانَ يَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ فَقَطْ The important thing isn't just that a person worships Allah. That isn't the key by itself. The key is worshipping Allah and abandoning the worship of others besides Allah. It's both parts, the affirmation and the negation. By itself, just worshipping Allah, that isn't enough. Because you must worship Allah and you must abandon shirk. Two parts together. That's why the shaykh says, it's not important. The important thing isn't just to say you worship Allah, but it is to worship Allah and to abandon that which is in opposition to that, all others besides Allah. Then after that, the next ayah again, very similar. وَعَبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do not commit any shirk. Again you notice the affirmation and the negation in the ayah. Again you notice the affirmation and the negation in the ayah. وَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا And do not commit any shirk with him. So again you see that same principle being applied. The affirmation and the negation. And that is the basis of tawheed. And that's why a shaykh says, a shaykh al-Fawzan, الْآيَاتُ عَلَى نَسَقٍ وَاحِدٍ وَمَنْهَجٍ وَاحِدٍ That these ayat are all on the same pattern and on the same methodology. All of these ayat are on the same pattern, upon the same way. What is that same pattern? What is that same way? The affirmation of tawheed and the negation of shirk. And that is what the basis of tawheed is and that's what you'll find in all of these ayat talking about tawheed. And that's what worship is. Worship is to single out sincerely for the sake of Allah and to abandon everything besides Allah. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned with regards to the definition of ibadah, of worship. Ismun jami'un likulli ma yuhibbuhu Allah wa yirdah min al-a'mali wal-aqwal al-dhahira wal-baatina. That worship is a comprehensive term that includes everything that Allah loves and is pleased with from actions and statements, whether apparent or hidden. Ismun jami'un li kulli ma yuhibbuhu Allah wa yardah min al-a'mali wa naf'ali al-zahira wa al-batina. All of those actions that Allah loves and is pleased with from the actions and from the statements, whether they are apparent and whether they are hidden. فَالْعِبَادَةَ هِيَ فِعْلُ مَا شَرَعَهُ اللَّهِ So worship is therefore to perform that which Allah has commanded. Allah has legislated. So the prayer is worship and the fasting is worship and the hajj is worship. And the ties of kinship and keeping them is worship. And enjoying the good and forbidding the evil is worship. All of this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us with, and all of this that we seek closeness to Allah via, then they are all acts of worship and ibadah, all of that which Allah has commanded us with and loves.
Then after that, the next ayah, continuing with the same theme. وَقَوْلُ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى قُلْ تَعَالَوْ أَتْلُ مَا حَرَّمَ رَبُّكُمْ عَلَيْكُمْ Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he mentions regarding this ayah, قُلْ تَعَالَوْ أَتْلُ مَا حَرَّمَ رَبُّكُمْ عَلَيْكُمْ أَلَّا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Say, come, I will recite to you that which your Lord has made haram upon you, that you do not commit shirk with anything besides Allah, alongside Allah. قال عبد الله بن مسعود رضي الله عنه من أراد أن ينظر إلى وصية محمد التي عليها خاتمه فليقرأ قوله قوله تعالى قل تعالى وأتل ما حرم ربكم عليكم ألا تشركوا به شيئا إلى قوله وأن هذا صراط مستقيم فاتبعوه. So when the Prophet said this ayah, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud mentioned regarding this ayah three things. He said whoever wants to see the counsel or the advice of the Prophet ﷺ that he sealed the affair upon, then he should read this ayah. Atlu, i.e. I will read to you, ma harrama rabbukum alaykum, that which your Lord has made haram upon you. Allah tushriku bihi shay'a, that you do not commit shirk with him. So the greatest of the haram, the greatest of the haram that Allah has made haram upon us is committing shirk with him. Committing shirk alongside Allah is from the greatest, is the greatest of the harams. And that's why in the hadith when the Prophet ﷺ said, uh, regarding the seven destroying sins, اجتنبوا السبع المبقات Stay away from the seven destroying sins. And what was the first of those destroying, destructive sins? Shirk. <coughs> shirk is mentioned as the greatest of the sins, the greatest of the sins, Akbarul Kabair, the greatest of the greatest, the greatest of all of the major, that is the sin of shirk. So shirk, the Shaykh says, Akhtarul Dunub, it is the most dangerous of the sins. And the greatest sin that you can sin with against Allah, the greatest sin you can do against Allah is to commit shirk. And the greatest thing that Allah has made haram from all of the things that are haram is shirk. فَأَنْتُمْ تَسْتَحِلُّونَ أَعْظَمُ الْمُحَرَّمَاتِ So it is as if these mushrikeen now, they are making halal, they are making permissible these activities of shirk. They are making permissible these activities of shirk. Whereas that is the greatest of the haram. And in fact, this ayah says, Allah tushriku bihi shay'a. <coughs> shay'a in the Arabic language like this is nakira, indefinite, and that therefore indicates every type of shirk. It includes, it encompasses every type of shirk. When you uh, make a nakira word, an indefinite word, in the context of something which is a negation, an indefinite word in the context of negation indicates generality. So here, it is an indefinite word in the context of negation, therefore it indicates generality, meaning every type of shirk. That you are forbidden to commit any type of shirk, whatever type of shirk that might be. Every single type is forbidden and that is proven by this ayah. Then the final narration in this particular chapter 
is the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal. Radiyallahu anhu qal, Kuntu radifan nabiyyi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala himar, faqala li ya Mu'adh, atadri ma haqqullahi ala al-ibad, wa ma haqqul ibadi ala Allah. Qultu Allahu wa rasooluhu a'lam, qala haqqullahi ala al-ibad, an ya'buduhu wa la yushriku bihi shay'a. وحق العباد على الله ألا يعذب من لا يشرك به شيئا قلت وفلا أبشر الناس قال لا تبشرهم فيتكلوا أخرجاه في الصحيحين In this hadith which is narrated by Mu'adh Ibn Jabal Al-Khazraji Al-Ansari One of the greatest scholars of this ummah He was one of the greatest scholars With regards to the halal and the haram and the Prophet ﷺ left him in charge of Mecca after it was conquered. After Mecca was conquered, Mu'adh ibn Jabal was left in charge. Then he was also sent to Yemen as a teacher and as a judge by the Prophet ﷺ. And after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, Umar ibn al-Khattab anhu also sent him to Sham as a teacher and as a judge. So this is the great Mu'adh ibn Jabal. In this narration he says that I was riding with the Prophet ﷺ on a donkey. And so the Prophet ﷺ said to me, O oh Mu'adh, do you know what the right of Allah is upon his servants? And do you know what the right of the servants is upon Allah? Mu'adh ibn Jabal said, Allahu A'lam, Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam, Allah and his messenger know best. And that was when the Prophet ﷺ was alive, after his death, you just say, Allahu A'lam. So then the Prophet ﷺ told Mu'adh ibn Jabal, he said, the right of Allah upon his servants is that they worship him and do not commit any shirk. That is the right that Allah has upon us. And the right of the servants upon Allah, what does that mean? Do we have rights upon Allah? So what does that mean then? It means what Allah has given us as a virtue. Allah has given us as a virtue from Him, a virtue upon us that Allah will not punish the one who does not commit shirk. So this indicates to you the great virtue of shirk. That the right Allah has bestowed upon us as a virtue upon us is that Allah will not punish those who do not commit shirk. This again is indicating the great status and the great rank of Tawheed. That the Prophet ﷺ told Mu'adh ibn Jabal, the right of Allah upon us is that we worship Him upon Tawheed. Because it's already been mentioned in the other ayah that Allah is the one who created us. He created us, He placed us upon this earth. So the right that Allah has upon us is that we worship Him upon Tawheed. That is the right of Allah upon us. How can it be as we've mentioned before? If a person knows that Allah is the one who created the heavens and the earth, and Allah is the one who gave life and death, and Allah is the one who created you, then how can you worship someone else besides Allah? The right of Allah upon us is that we worship Him alone. And the right that Allah gave us as a virtue and as a blessing, is that Allah will not punish the one who does not commit shirk with Allah. The person who dies upon pure tawheed, worshipping Allah alone without committing any shirk, then this is the great virtue that Allah mentions, or the Prophet ﷺ mentions, Allah has given to those people. Then, Mu'adh ibn Jabal, when hearing this hadith, 
and hearing these great virtues of Tawheed, he said, Afala ubashirun nas. Shall I not go and tell everybody? Shall I not go give them the glad tidings? That the right of Allah upon you is Tawheed, and Allah will not punish you if you do not commit shirk. Shall I not go tell them and give them glad tidings? But then the Prophet ﷺ said, La tubashirhum fayattakilu. Don't tell them, because they will become dependent upon it. Meaning people might become slack. They might become dependent upon that thinking, well, as long as I'm keeping to the Tawheed generally, then they might become slack and they might go weak on their worship, they might go weak on their obedience, hearing that as long as they don't commit shirk, they'll be safe. They might start to become negligent. So the Prophet ﷺ said, don't tell them. They'll become dependent upon it, so don't tell them. So if that's the case, how can we know this hadith then? If the Prophet ﷺ told Mu'adh ibn Jabal, don't tell them, how do we know it then? How is it in this book? How do we know this hadith if Mu'adh ibn Jabal was told, don't tell anyone? No, but Mu'adh ibn Jabal is the narrator. Mu'adh ibn Jabal was told, don't tell anyone. He said, shall I tell them? The Prophet ﷺ said, don't tell them. So how do we know about it then? It is mentioned by the scholars that towards the time when time passed by and Mu'adh ibn Jabal feared that death may come upon him and he has not told anybody about this hadith. He feared that this knowledge would die with him, that it would go with him. If he died and didn't tell anyone, we would never know this hadith. So when he feared that death may come upon him and he feared concealing knowledge, he feared the concealing of knowledge and hiding this knowledge to himself and dying with it and nobody else ever finding out. When he feared that, when some time went by, then he told the people. Then he told them when he feared that death may come upon him, he didn't want to hide that knowledge and conceal it. So then he informed the people. But initially the Prophet said, don't tell them because they will become dependent upon it. Rather what's required is a person is always consistently worshipping and striving to worship and not to become... Uh, dependent upon saying this or saying that or hearing this narration or that narration and becoming just dependent upon that narration. Rather, you always strive with your worship and your obedience in the different aspects. So that chapter, that opening chapter, it is to set the foundation. It is to explain that the basis of the religion is Tawheed, that all of the prophets and messengers, they called to this Tawheed. It is to explain that this Tawheed is built upon this affirmation and negation. And it is to explain that throughout the Qur'an, Allah has mentioned these ayat on that same way in affirmation and negation. That it is not permissible to commit shirk whatsoever in any type. So that opening chapter gives everybody an overview of Tawheed, the importance of it to a degree, how the prophets and messengers, they all came and called towards it, how it was the same Tawheed every messenger was based upon. So that gives you an overview of the importance of this topic that we're discussing. And these next few chapters, they go into that in more detail. They go into the detail of why Tawheed is so important. What Tawheed does in terms of expiating your sins. It expiates your sins, takes away your sins, wipes out your sins. How Tawheed, it enters a person into paradise. All of these types of narrations and chapters are going to be coming in chapter 2, 3, 4, 5. The next few chapters are going to discuss all of that importance. So that's where we'll begin from, inshallah, next time from the second chapter 
or what's often termed as the first chapter uh, next week inshallah ta'ala wa sallallahu ala nabina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in How are we supposed to understand the hadith that you just mentioned and the hadith of the 76th Hadith? Because it's one saying if you just upon Tawheed, you will not get punished. No, 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 okay. No, these narrations that talk about Tawheed and you'll not be punished, you have to understand them in the, <coughs> the context of the other narrations too. And they're going to come. This is just the first chapter yet. This full book is full of the narrations of Tawheed. Then you'll start to realize what that means. Because there's other chapters that are going to come and explain to you how to perfect your Tawheed. And what are the things that will complete your Tawheed. Because then you'll soon realize later on that somebody who dies upon Tawheed, but they hadn't perfected their Tawheed. And they hadn't completed their Tawheed. They'd committed lots of sins and errors. Then it's possible that a person could go to hellfire first to be punished for the sins and the errors that he did. But because he still died as a person of Tawheed, in the end he will still definitely enter paradise. And that's one of the meanings of these narrations. That the Tawheed will certainly save you. Does that mean that you will be saved directly from the very beginning, instantly into paradise? Or does it mean you may enter hellfire first and then into paradise in the end at least? Either one of them. If you perfect your Tawheed, you could go directly to paradise. If you don't, and there are sins and errors and shortcomings, you may enter hellfire first. But then you will still get to paradise because of the Tawheed. So in the end, the Tawheed saves you whatever happens. Even if you end up going to the hellfire to be punished for some sins and to be cleansed, in the end, because you did die upon Tawheed, that Tawheed will save you. So this narration has to go in with the other narrations that are going to come, which explain about perfecting your Tawheed. Because a person who doesn't perfect the Tawheed has lots of sins and errors, then they are still in line to possibly be punished for those errors. But in the end, the Tawheed will save them. And there's an ayah or a few ayat that are going to come and explain those different levels in the few chapters that are coming up insha'Allah. So we'll conclude there. We'll carry next week.